0: And for the sake of the message, we're going to have an extended reading. We're going to read all the way down to the end of the chapter. And uh, the reason why is we want to make sure we get the whole story in here at the beginning of the message. Verse 32, the Bible says, And it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aenus, uh, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said to him, Aenus, Jesus Christ, "'Maketh thee whole arise, and make thy bed.' "'And he arose immediately. "'And all that dwelt at Lydia and Sauron saw him, and turned to the Lord. "'Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, "'which by interpretation is called Dorcas. "'This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. "'And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. "'Whom, when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber.' And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. The title of the sermon this evening is this. God's work is the greatest work. God's work is the greatest work. And we uh, we see here in this story Peter doing some incredible things, but it isn't just Peter that's busy doing the work of the Lord. We'll see that more here in the next few minutes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message that um, uh, has been prepared. Thank you for the Bible from which we can draw the truths. Help us, Lord, to have ears that are listening and hearts that will seek to put into action those things that we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So... Um, uh, Peter is uh, making his rounds doing his ministry work and checking up on the various churches that fall under his purview and lo and behold he comes to a town named Lida and there's a man named Aenus who has been crippled for eight years and uh, Peter goes in and spends some time with him and uh, Peter is able to give the man through the name of Jesus Christ able to give the man his legs and the man's able to walk and be made whole and word gets around town that uh, this has happened and Uh, not only lighted the town where Anas dwelled, but also the neighboring town of Saron. And the Bible tells us that all those that heard of this turned to the Lord. Well, word spread to a city named Joppa that um, this had been done. And so, uh, lo and behold, uh, Peter goes and travels to Joppa. They send some folks to get him. He comes to Joppa, and there's a woman named Tabitha who had given of her talents and abilities to the Lord and had been a minister and helped to many people. Well, she had died just unexpectedly, real quickly, gotten sick and had died. And so they had washed her and laid her up in a bed in, a, in an upper chamber area. And Peter shows up, and uh, uh, after everyone shows him the works that, that, uh, that Tabitha had done, he has them leave, he gets down on his knees, he prays, and then he raises her from the dead. And many, many people hear about the miracle of Peter raising Tabitha from the dead and many folks in Joppa, like they did in Elida and Sauron, believe in Christ. And then a man named uh, Simon, uh, who was a tanner, took in Peter and gave him a place to stay for a few days. And so in a nutshell, that's the passage. There are many ways in which people quantify success. For the athlete, winning a championship is success. For the teacher... Students who learn and make good grades equals success. For the parent, children who turn into respectable adults and pursue a successful career and maintain solid relationships, that equals success. For the businessman, success or businesswoman, success is defined by net profits. For marriage, intimacy and compatibility equal success. So success is defined different depending on uh, your circumstances and what exactly it is you're trying to accomplish. But what about the Christian? How does the Christian define success? We pursue success because success brings with it great fulfillment and a sense of accomplishment. Nobody in life sets out and says, I'm going to try to be a failure today. I want my life to be a failure over the next six months or a year. Uh, failure is discouraging. Failure is no fun. No matter how failure presents itself, failure is disheartening. And um, uh, one day, uh, Christian, we're going to give an account before God uh, for our lives. I believe I speak for every individual in the room this evening. But in that moment, I want to hear my Savior say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of you want to hear the Lord say that to you on that day? Isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we all want? For Jesus to look down and put a, a, a seal of approval, a stamp of endorsement, a check mark by our name, that we lived our life in a way that put a smile on his face and caused him to accept us. I don't know about you, but in that day, I want to know I have been accepted by God. I once read a quote. That went something like this: "Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten." Now that is a cold quote, but I believe it to be an accurate quote. Um, the that that the the only thing that will matter in the end are the things we've done that have affected eternity. That's it. That's it. How much money you had in the bank when you died won't matter. How much fun you had on earth won't matter. Uh, And to be truthful with you, um, how many championships you've won won't matter. How smart your students were won't matter, whether it's at school or here at church. Your child's schooling and financial success in the end won't matter. How successful your business is won't matter. How blissful your marriage was in the end, truthfully, won't matter. Francis Chan uh, said this. He said, Our greatest fear in life should not be failure, but at succeeding at things that just really don't matter. Let me read that again. Our greatest fear in life should not be failure, but at succeeding at things that don't really matter. Now, if eternal things are the only thing that matter then how do we succeed in eternal things? I think that's the question, isn't it? If, if, if succeeding at eternal things is the only thing that matters in the end, then I want to know how can I be successful in these eternal things? God's business is the greatest business in the whole world. God's business is the greatest business in the whole world. Therefore, give it your best give it your best give it your all uh, that should be where your energy thrives your family should revolve around together working together to ac- accomplish those things that are eternal our children should be raised with eternity in mind and affecting eternity um, uh, with their lives uh, we should fire them as arrows in the darkness, as Psalm 127, 5, and 6 tell us, as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are children in the hands, uh, or in, the, in their youth, and we're to give it our best. The church is God's avenue for accomplishing God's eternal work. In Acts chapter 9, we find Peter and many others busy, and what are they doing? They're catching men. They're fishers of men. They're doing the eternal work of God. Now, if we're honest this evening, many Christians are too busy running on the hamster wheel of life. And they are too exhausted to give of their time, their money, and their abilities to the Lord. And it isn't that we don't want to affect eternity. We're just too tired at the end to affect eternity. And we don't have anything left because we're running on the hamster wheel accomplishing things that really don't matter. Really don't matter. I heard someone say one time, God wants you to give what's right, not what's left. That's a clever play on words. I think it's a a good statement. God wants you to give him what's right, not what's left. Now, when God's people work in harmony with the gospel, what happens? God's power is put on display. The lost take notice. The lost are reached and get saved. Eternity is changed. That's the end result. That's the end goal. Be born, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Be born, preach the gospel, die, Be forgotten. Um, No one in here is uh, really going to pay much mind to you 100 years from now or 200 years from now or 500 years from now. No one's going to know your name. No one's going to know what you did. No one's going to know how much fun you had. No one's going to know how many championships you won. No one cares how many runs your child scored in t-ball. None of those things matter. What matters is what we do with the gospel. Why? Because God's work is the greatest work. God's work, the greatest work, therefore, requires our time. It requires our energy. It requires our growth. It requires our endurance. It requires our money. It requires our abilities. It requires our very, very best. So with that as the introduction with that as the foundation to the sermon this morning, let's jump into Acts chapter 9 and let's see how this fervor, this energy, this passion, this drive for eternal success was at, uh, at the foundation of the passage at which we're addressing this evening. Let's jump in and notice just a handful of thoughts, five, uh, uh, five thoughts here. Uh, let's see here. I didn't put down how many thoughts. Four thoughts. Four thoughts this evening on this idea of God's work is the greatest work. Point number one. Point number one. Notice the workers. The workers. We see here that there are people at work. Uh, In order to make this passage happen, there is a lot of moving parts. (laughs) Look at me in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwell at Lydda. Letter A, notice, our duty, our duty. Turn in your Bibles, two books to the right, if you would, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And uh, let's look at just a couple of verses here. Now, we could spend all evening uh, dissecting 1 Corinthians 12 in light of Acts chapter 9. We're not going to do that. We're going to touch on 1 Corinthians 12 and get right back to Acts 9. But uh, if you would, I think that it's important that we look at how uh, Paul would uh, articulate... For us the functioning of the body of Christ and that helps us better understand Acts 9. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, For as the body is one, and hath many members and all the members of that uh, one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Look down at verse 25. Verse 25, the Bible says that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ... And members in particular what 's going on here in First Corinthians twelve the church is being compared to a human body and the different systems that make a body work, and the different uh, body parts that make a body function, uh, in, in normalcy, and uh, all of that that has to go on, the coordinating of the hands and the feet, and the eyes and the brain, and uh, the blood that's carried from the heart through the various parts of the body, and just so uh, as the body is complex, and just as though the body is different, the church body likewise is different. What do we have a body, what do we have a duty to do? We have a duty to understand our own gifts and callings. Listen, no one in here has the same uh, gift and calling. Everyone's Calling is a little bit different. You may be able to find someone in here who has a a spiritual gift. That's the same as yours. But no one's calling is exactly the same. Uh, We had Brother Ray Young preach for us last fall, and I was talking to him in personal conversation, and on two different occasions in uh, my conversations with him, he brought out the same point. Here was the truth, that there are no two people in the Bible that follow the same path. God had a different path, For every individual. We have to be careful not to put people in a mold. And assume that God calls everyone to follow the same mold. The same path. Your calling uh, and the gifts God has given you is unique to you. You have a duty to learn what your spiritual gifts are. You have a duty to figure out what God's calling on your life is. And pursue it with your whole heart. Why? Because God's work is is the greatest work. We have a duty not only to understand our gifts and callings, we have a duty to accept our role within the body of Christ. Everyone here has a different part to make White Oak Baptist Church function and go and work. And we don't want any schisms in the body of Christ. Therefore, you need to make sure you're doing your part. you figured out what your role here is. You know how it is that you function and work here at the church. And you give it your all. And you do it with an agreeable spirit. And you're prayed up. And you're read up. And you're not doing the work of the Lord begrudgingly. You're not doing it with a sour spirit. You are, you are giving your all to your ministry because God's work is is the greatest work. We have a duty to care one for another. Care one for another. I'm so thankful that when there is a struggle here at our church, boy, it's just like a body works where, you know, if, if the thumb gets hit with a hammer or uh, something falls on a toe, the whole body would rush to that area uh, to secure it, to check on it. Boy, I feel like that's how it works at our church. Someone's having a tough time and that's made apparent and aware. And boy, as a church family, we just seem to flood to and flood flock to that person to love on them and help them, whether that be with a special benevolence offering. We've collected several of those in my tenure as a pastor. Or the death of a, of a loved one, and we'll have a memorial service or a funeral, and folks will flood in to support, even if they barely know the person that passed away. We're a church that, that pursues that duty of not only knowing what our gifts and callings are, but caring one for another. We have a duty to pursue unity And togetherness, unity and togetherness. The truth is that sometimes uh, you may feel left out, you may feel forgotten, you may feel as though uh, what you do around here isn't noticed, you may feel as though all that's going on at our church and you're just sort of stuck in the corner, stuck in the background, left behind forgotten about everyone's been there at some point everyone knows that feeling uh that's been in church long enough you have a duty to step up and say lord i'm not doing this for the pastor i'm not doing this for the deacons i'm not doing it for adulation or praise i'm doing it for the king of heaven and one day one day god is going to reward you for your labor there was a uh, lady that served in the bus ministry at Emmanuel Baptist Temple in Hagerstown, Maryland, while we were there. Um, she had been a member of the church for well over 40 years. I don't even remember the lady's name. This is how quiet she was. And she, um, uh, she had served as a bus captain in the church for 25 or 30 years. She was as introverted and quiet as anyone I've ever met. In fact, she would slip in after the service started. And she would slip out before, right before the service ended. And she had very few friends within the church. But every Saturday morning, this lady showed up. And she came to the bus meeting. And she got her bus flyers, and she went out on her bus route. Uh, Sweet little old lady, she'd been doing it since she was probably in her 40s. And here she was in her 70s, and she's still out knocking on doors, looking for boys and girls, showing up on a Sunday morning, whether it was hot or cold, getting on that bus, bringing those kids to church. 95% of the people in that church did not even know her name. The staff knew her name, and I've forgotten it since. Uh, She did not want to be known. She didn't want uh, to have uh, uh, friendships, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just telling you that's who she was. Uh, That's how she was built. She was more of a hermit in her nature, but she knew her duty and calling within the church, and she gave it her all. You know, I think people like her might be in front of me when we get to heaven one day. I think heaven's going to be filled with people like her who lived in anonymity in the body of Christ, weren't concerned about getting a shout-out from the pastor, weren't concerned about getting a pat on the back from another church member. She was just faithfully serving the Lord. We have a duty to, uh, to pursue unity and togetherness. But ultimately, ultimately, all of those things can be summed up with this statement, we have a duty to advance the cause of Christ. Above all, above all, the gospel of Jesus Christ is far more important than any position or or title or 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 or, uh, or class or program uh, it's more important than any baby shower or bridal shower amen it's more important uh, than uh, than any easter program it's more important than any gospel track the gospel of jesus christ is the mission of the church and that is the greatest work listen we don't gather here at church to have a social club we don't gather here to be entertained we don't gather here to be filled with uh, uh, feelings of all boy, I went to church today and I feel good and I'm going home now that I have my good feelings inside of me. Oh, no, no, no. While all those things are okay and all those things are acceptable and all those things are fine, we gather to church and we do the work at the church, not for a good time, but because the church has the mission of an eternal gospel and we're to gather and we have a duty, a duty, a duty to proclaim that gospel to anyone and everyone that will listen. It is our duty the workers of the church, until you fully understand your calling and your duty, you will never feel fulfilled at White Oak Baptist Church. Notice letter A, our duty. Notice letter B, our diligence. Go back with me to Acts chapter 9 and verse number 32. Acts 9 and look at verse number 32. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as Peter uh, uh, passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Okay, if you throw that map up there for me, here is a, a picture of Israel uh, during the time of which Jesus lived and shortly thereafter. And so I just want to show you here, uh, let's see here, where the dot is, if I can hold it still enough, that's Jerusalem, okay? That's Lydda right there, all right? And then over here on the coast is Joppa. So you've got Jerusalem, Lydda, and Joppa. Now, they didn't have cars back then. So uh, Peter was walking or riding on a donkey, maybe a horse, If they had horses, I don't even know if they had horses back then. My history is not. Who knows? Would anybody know if horse riding would have been a thing back then? I'm not sure at the time of uh, Christ it would have been. Carson's saying, yes, he just graduated from Bible college. He knows everything there is to know. So we're going to go with with yes. No, I'm picking on you. Uh, But so maybe he would have had a horse. Maybe he would have walked. But anyway, it would have been a rough ride. And here he is in Jerusalem, and he's making his rounds. Now, earlier he had been up here in Samaria. That's where we found him with Philip in in, um, chapter 8. Uh, the city of Samaria, within the province of Samaria. And so he's making his rounds as the church is getting up and going, and he comes over here to Lydda, and he doesn't know about the man sick of the palsy. He's just being diligent in the work that God's called him to do. He's checking on the churches everywhere he goes. Thank you for the joke. Look down with me at verse number 38. So we see Peter's diligence. Look at verse 38. And for as much as Lydda was not a Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them now I imagine that with the situation with Tabitha having gotten sick and Tabitha was a dear elderly woman in the church, uh, someone looked around and said, Hey Peter is in Lida uh, Joppa is a, 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 a see Lida would have been about halfway between Jerusalem and Joppa someone said hey peter 's in Lidah, and he has the ability to work miracles. hey we need someone to go get him. Hey listen, this can be quickly overlooked when you read this passage, but two men took a couple of days off of work, they packed a bag, they got on their horses or their camels or their feet, and they traveled to, and they persuaded Peter to make the trip out to Joppa. Why? Because they had a calling within the church, they had a duty within the church, they were workers within the church, and they were diligent enough to to accomplish that work. Look down at verse number 43. Now, at this point, Peter has raised uh, Tabitha from the dead, and now he needs a place to stay. Look at verse 43. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. Now, what did Simon the tanner do? He opened up his house and let Peter stay there. Now, you say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, clearly it was. Uh, God felt it important enough to add it into the Bible right here. And this didn't have this verse if you take verse 43 out of the chapter you don't miss it. You don't miss it, but God felt it important enough to say hospitality is something that matters within the church. Simon the Tanner looked at Peter and said, "Listen, this isn't your hometown and you're not you're you're, you're away from your network here. Stay with me. I will open up my house. I will be inconvenienced for you. You can stay with me." Praise God for the Simon Tanners of the world. And so uh, we see here our duty and our diligence, the workers. Number two, notice the wounded, the wounded. Letter A, notice their sickness, their sickness. Look with me at verse number 34. The Bible says, and there he found a certain man and named a- Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. So we see this man, Aeneas, who's been sick eight years years, he can't walk. Look down at verse 36 and 37. The Bible says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. Now, verse 34, we find who dealt with an ongoing chronic illness, eight years of being uh, sick, eight years of, uh, of not being able to walk, eight years of having to be taken care of by others. Verse 37, we find Tabitha, who came down with a sudden and severe illness. And so we see here that there are the wounded, the wounded, we see their sickness. Notice letter B, their service. Their service. Now, these people that were sick, they had a specific uh, a point. Uh, they had a specific, God had given them a specific calling in their sickness. Look at verse number thirty-six with me. And this one's the more obvious in the passage. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is by interpret, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Look here. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. In this passage, Peter is the one who gets a lot of praise, right? I mean, Peter's making his rounds, he's being diligent, he steps in, he raises... Um, uh, someone who is uh, uh, sick, he gives them their strength back, and then he inconveniences himself further by going to Joppa. He goes in and he raises Tabitha from the dead. I mean, this is like a Lazarus-type experience that Peter has. I mean, this really is a pretty close parallel uh, to to what Jesus did with Lazarus. And boy, I mean, if you read this passage, you walk away thinking, man, Peter's a pretty great guy. Look at, I mean, look at everything Peter could do. But again, if you're not stopping and looking at the little details, you miss these little things. Tabitha, she had a ministry within her church. The Bible says here in verse number 36 that she did alms deeds. Alms deeds. What are alms deeds? Alms deeds are charitable deeds. Charitable deeds. Look down to verse 39. We get a little more clarity on this. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. God had given Tabitha a special ability to be able to sew and knit. And she had used this to help others. In our day and time, when our coat it gets threadbare, we just go down in the store and buy a new one because we're prosperous people, we can afford to do that. But do you understand that during this time, if you didn't have a coat to wear, you you were probably just going to have to go cold until you could save for a long time to buy a new one. And here these elderly folks, these widows had coats to wear. Because Tabitha had used her abilities that God had given her to help other people in the church. Her love for Christ and others was obvious. What did she do here? Notice she took the talent that God had given her and she used it for the betterment of the church. She used it for the betterment of the church. So, what is it that God has given you the ability to do? Are you using it for the betterment of the church? Are you using it for the betterment of the saints Within the church. In verse 33 we see a very different type of service. Now again Tabitha's service is obvious. She took her knitting and sewing abilities and she made clothes for people. But look at verse 33. This one's a little less obvious. Look at verse 33. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. What service did God give to Aeneas? God God had called Aeneas to the service of suffering. The service of suffering. Take take your Bibles over to John chapter 9 with me, if you will. John chapter number 9. God calls some people to suffer. God calls some people to suffer. Now, I believe he calls all Christians who stand for him to suffer on some level, but God gives some people specifically the ministry of suffering. Look at John 9, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Do you know that God chose to have this little boy, now this grown man, but when he was a little boy, have him be born blind? God made him blind in his sovereignty. Did you know that sometimes people are born into this world, their special needs, or they're physically uh, maimed in some way? And that's not just an effect of a fallen world, sometimes that's on purpose. God does that on purpose. The disciples look at this blind man and says, who sinned? Oh, that was the way they had been raised, to be taught that if someone was blind, surely there was some grave sin that God was punishing. And I would say this philosophy isn't too far different from Job's friends, who said, well, you had to have sinned or this wouldn't have happened to you. This is the same line of thinking, is it not? And Jesus looked at him and said, no one necessarily sinned. I made him this way on purpose so he could bring me glory. God calls some people to a life of suffering and sickness. Why? Because he wants to use that person to serve others and benefit others through their suffering. Adoniram Judson, the renowned missionary to Burma, endured untold hardships trying to reach the loss for Christ. For seven heartbreaking years, he suffered hunger and privation, loneliness. During this time, he was thrown into Ava prison and for 17 months was subjected to almost incredible mistreatment. As a result, for the rest of his life, he carried the ugly marks made by the chains and iron shackles which had cruelly bound him. Undaunted, upon his release, he asked permission to enter another province where he might resume preaching the gospel. The godless ruler indignantly denied his request, and here's what he said. He said, My people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say, but I fear they might be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. God calls some folks to a ministry Of suffering. Many of you know the name Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote hymns like Blessed Assurance, Rescue the Perishing, Pass Me Not, O gentle Savior, I am thine, O Lord, also known as Draw Me Near. What many do not know is that Fanny suffered from a medical accident as a baby and lost her sight. In her blindness, in her blindness, Her life took a different path and that path led to these hymns and 8,000 other hymns being written that have touched many hearts and led to countless people being saved. With no comment, I'll just say that Ron Hamilton is this generation's Fanny Crosby. She would write in the final stanza of her famous hymnal, Draw Me Near, she would write, There are depths of love that I yet may know Ere thee face to face I see. There are heights of joy that I yet may reach. Ere I rest in peace with thee. I I, I imagine as Fanny was pinning those words, there must have been this profound understanding that while I will not see on this side of eternity, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be given my sight and the very first person I'm going to see is my Savior. You may be here today and you may be like Aeneas. God has called you to a life of suffering. You're part of the wounded. Can I tell you that a cross is not a cross unless it benefits others? I hear people say, I'm bearing my cross. You're not if you're not using that to to benefit eternity and help others. You say, I don't understand why God's given me this hardship in my life. And I would say open up your eyes, Christian, and behold the the great rich heritage of those who have come before you who have have suffered. God has given you a ministry of suffering. He's called you to a service. Number one, the workers. Number two, the wounded. Number three, the wander. The wander. Look at verse number 34 of Acts chapter number 9. The Bible says, And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he rose. arose immediately. Now that's pretty incredible. I would have loved to have been there to see that. And the apostles had the ability to do things that just aren't done today. Faith healing is uh, as far as a man laying hands on someone and restoring the ability to walk or take away blindness or raise someone from the dead. That's something that died off with the apostles. That's not something we have anymore. By the way, if someone tells you they can do these things, uh, grab your wallet and go the other direction. I mean it. They're after your money. And uh, they're lying to you, okay? Okay. Uh, Can God still work wonders and can God still give a cripple his legs back and the blind their sight, and the deaf their hearing. Uh, Could God even allow someone who is dead to be raised again? Absolutely. God's not bound by time or dispensations. God can do anything He wants, whenever He wants. But it's not in God's interest to use a man to do those things anymore. Because when the apostles died, what died with them was the completion of the Scriptures and the, uh, the establishment of the church. Those things are no longer needed. However, it is great to see the wonder of this man being given. Given back his legs. Look at verse number 40. But Peter put them all forth, and he kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand. Oh my. And lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. I read this, and I think about Miss Myrtle Valerie, who just passed away. And uh, my heart hurts. My heart hurts that she's passed. I love Miss Myrtle. I remember about two years ago, I sat in a hospital room with her at Bridgeport Hospital. For an hour and a half or so, we, we talked. And I remember the pain that was on her face. I remember holding her hand and praying with her. I remember as her friend, feeling helpless. I wish I would have had Peter's ability to heal her. I wish I had Peter's ability to walk to where she may lay right now and raise her from the dead. Miss Myrtle served many people in this church for many years. But that was Tabitha. And Peter, he walked in and he prayed and he laid his hands on her hands and God gave her her spirit back. Oh, the wonder. Now, we may not see someone cured of the palsy or someone raised from the dead, but we do see people who were once spiritually dead come back to life. The gospel has the power to put marriages back together. The gospel has the power to take a wounded heart and mend it and make it whole. The gospel has the power to take a drug addict and give him or her victory. The gospel has the power... To take a broken family lineage and set it on a course of morality and success. The wonder of the gospel. Let's look at number four. And lastly, let's look at the witness. The witness. Letter A, notice God's power revealed. Look at the beginning of verse number 35. Look here. And all that dwelt at Lida and Saron saw him. Speaking of the of Aeneas, look down at verse number 42. And it was known throughout all Joppa. What was known? The fact that Tamath, Tabitha had been raised from the dead. Uh, when. God when these miracles happen, word spread fast. hey, did you you know the man that was of, uh, that, that had the palsy and couldn 't walk boy now he 's up running around town and uh, did you hear about Tabitha? She was dead. I saw her dead uh, I saw, I had a friend that saw her dead and she 's up walking around town again she 's all better. Word spread fast. What happened was that these uh, changed people these healed people had been a testimony had been a witness to the power of an almighty God that can do anything He wants, whenever He wants. Christian, before I finish up the message this uh, evening, let me just say to you that if the gospel of Jesus Christ has reached down deeply and has touched your life and has saved your soul and has changed you, boy, you need to make sure the world around you sees a changed Christian. Let's not go to work tomorrow and behave like everyone else at work. Let's not uh, uh, be measly measly mouth, and down and out and complaining all the time and talking about how hard our life is and talking about how tough it is to be a good soldier of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's not go around acting as though our life is hard. Let's not go around with low character. and Let's not go around and make a poor name of Jesus Christ. My friend, if the gospel of Jesus Christ has reached down and touched you and it has changed you, then you need to be a shining light and a bright testimony to the world that God's power is on display in your life. Don't let the world look at you and say, well if that's what being a Christian's about, I sure don't want any of that. Oh, we have enough Christians in this world that give Christ a bad name. Let's let the Christians that are a part of White Oak Baptist Church go out in the community. And this is the aircraft carrier you launch out from here tonight, and let's go to work. Let's go to our neighborhoods. Let's go see our friends. Let's bump into people on the streets, and let's let them look at us and say, something's going on in the lives of those people. The power of God is on display. That's what the gospel is all about. Hey listen, Jesus saved your soul, you're on your way to heaven, praise God for that. Let's get our head out of the sand, let's quit acting like life stinks, let's quit talking about how terrible our life is and how hard we have it. Let's set our eyes on the hope of heaven, let's put a smile on our face and our heart and let's tell the world how good our God is. Hey, word got around that this man who was lame could now walk, that this woman who was dead was now alive. I think of the great hymn, I once was blind, but now I see. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I was a lost, wretched soul, and the power of God reached down, and He took me from being dead, and I am eternally alive. And amen, God's work is the greatest work, and we need to go forth and show folks that while we witness with our lips, we also witness with the way we live our life. God's power revealed, let her be noticed, the people's repentance, the people's repentance. Look back at verse number 35. The Bible says, And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord, everyone that laid eyes on this man that had been healed, they looked at him, they saw the change in him, and they said, "We want to the his Lord. That's who we want." They made it personal. Now, I, I'm not a big fan of using uh, the word all, uh, but look back there. It says, "And uh, let's see, and all that dwelt at Lydda and uh, Sauron saw him." Does that mean that every resident in those two cities got saved? I think that's probably what it means. That seems to be what it says. Hey, wouldn't it be great if everyone in Stratford got saved? Wouldn't it be great that word got around town? There's something special going on at White Oak Baptist Church, and people saw the lives that were being changed, and the marriages that were being healed, and the broken hearts that were being mended. And God looked. Uh, people looked around and saw. Said, "I don't know what it is, but I want the Christ. I want the God of the people at White Oak Baptist Church. The people's." Repentance, look down at verse 42, we see a similar effect, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Hey, listen, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about what people think about us, it's about what people think about our Jesus. And as our life is changed, and we begin to share the goodness of God with the world around us, what we find is that people repent. What's that mean? That means they turn from their false sense of belief... And they put their faith in Jesus, and He saves them. It says in verse 42, they believed in the Lord. That's what this is all about. It's all about persuading people one-on-one by the way we live and by what we say to bring people to the Lord, the people's repentance. And my friend, as people come to Jesus, they get to experience the wonder of the power of the gospel. Amen? I don't know about you, but I believe that God's work is the greatest work. I sure don't want to wear myself out running around a hamster wheel that in the end, in time, means nothing and doesn't matter. I want to give my life to the work of Christ because to live for Christ and to preach His Word is to make an eternal difference. And in the end, that's all that will ever matter. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How about you tonight, Christian? Are you busy? Are you participating in the greatest work? God's called you. He's given you talents. He's given you gifts. He's given you a calling. How about it? Are you yielded to the Lord? Are you all in on the greatest work? My friend, your life will soon pass. Some of you in here are very young and you have energy. Boy, let's not waste it on things that are menial and trivial. Let's give it to the Lord. Somebody here tonight, God may be calling you into full-time Christian ministry. Don't let me stand between you and that calling. Others of you in here need to just decide to reprioritize your life so you can give more of your heart to the Lord. How many here tonight would say, Pastor, in some way, somehow, through the Acts 9 passage tonight, the Lord has spoken to my heart. Pastor, here's my hand. Pray for me that I will make God's work the greatest work in my life. That's huge. You raise your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I have things I need to get in place so I can make God's work the greatest work. Lord, work in our hearts tonight. Lord, do something special here this evening. Lord, help decisions to be made that will affect all of eternity. May we commit to do this great work. In Jesus' name.